Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you again. Thank you for having me. And I bring greetings from brothers and sisters at Bolton. And uh, they, uh, they wish you well with your, your holiday club coming up this week. We just had our holiday club uh, last week, so we're in the sort of uh, few phase. Um, and pray that you'll have that um, uh, next week. We had a wonderful blessing uh, this week, and I'm sure you will uh, this week as well. Um, we'll get down to business. Quite a lot to get through uh, this morning. And uh, could I really encourage you to take notes. It, it's quite a serious subject, as you've, you've seen, and uh, we want to do it... Uh, uh, we want to do its uh, service, so um, do, uh, if you can, maybe scribble down a few, a few notes as I'm going through this. Uh, I think you're in week five of your series in 1 Peter, Swimming Against the Tide. I understand that's the, uh, the title you've been working uh, to. Uh, Paul Peter's been helping uh, the churches that he's writing to to, uh, to stand firm in very challenging circumstances. They're a very small, very small churches. They've been suffering persecution, uh, seen as insignificant in the eyes of the world, uh, but uh, they are God's people. They are God's chosen people. They are precious in God's sight. And they have a great hope. Do you remember that back in, in chapter 1? You might like just to scan over uh, the first part of chapter 1 to remind yourself of that. Because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that is their great hope. It's been uh, underpinned by that great historical event. And uh, despite their smallness, they are at the centre of God's purposes. And those are promises that are uh, retained for us, preserved for us today as Christians, even in our, our smallness. Uh, I think uh, this is a parish of about 30,000 people. There's maybe uh, 40 or 50 people here, 100 people or so on your, on your register. It seems like uh, that's a, 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 a swimming against the tide, isn't it? It's a small fish in a, in a big pond. But uh, this book, Peter reminds us that you are a chosen people. You have a, a big job to do for God and uh, you have been given some incredibly precious promises. So uh, that's where we, we are uh, this morning. Uh, that's um, hopefully the, the encouragement to, to, to keep uh, listening. And in light of that great hope... Uh, in this central section of the book that we've reached uh, today, Peter is in, encouraging uh, those churches that they can uh, also make a difference in this hostile world, which is a good thing going into your holiday club to know that uh, maybe a small number of young people coming in here, but the difference that we can make through the gospel, well, we won't know exactly what the, the effects of that will be, but we can know that God will use them for for incredible good. If you could just turn back to chapter 2, uh, verses 11 to 12. This is sort of a theme sentence for the section that you're, you're in. You've been over in over the last couple of weeks. Uh, chapter 2, verses 11 to 12. Uh, Peter says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and aliens to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. And I think over the last couple of weeks you've seen that you can do those things in, in the world and uh, at work. But Peter today turns his attention to uh, marriages and the church. We're going to spend most of our time though on marriages because that's uh, the bulk of the, uh, the text uh, here. 
Now, I guess if you're a single person or a young person, there's a few of them around uh, this morning, you may be tempted to switch off at this point, thinking this doesn't have a lot to do with you. Good opportunity to catch up on some guilt-free sleep, you might be uh, thinking. But if you're in that category, perhaps I could give you a couple of reasons to not do that. Um, The first is... um, uh, I've been reading, well, I've written this a while ago now, so I've really actually got a, a very good book which I recommend by Glyn Harrison called A Better Story, uh, in which he, he talks about the, uh, the sexual revolution and, and how that's affected society and how, as, as Christians, we've responded to, to that. Uh, it's a very, very useful book. In that, he talks about uh, marriage enriching society. Marriage enriches society. In fact, that's in the very first few words of the marriage service uh, that Johnny and I uh, do as uh, vicars from from time to time. And uh, whether you're married or single, it's important that we we uphold marriage uh, as the place for sex and for family nurture, because it's all in our interests. And um, you may have heard uh, of the, the Living in Love and Faith project, which is a, a big group of uh, a big body of research that's been done uh, in the Church of England uh, surrounding the discussions uh, about gay marriage. Uh, it's a big tome that looks at all aspects of uh, relationships and um, and sex as well. And uh, very up to date statistical research contained in this uh, this this book. And uh, that has shown that. Uh, one in three marriages now fail, and 48% of children are born outside of, of marriage. And um, those statistics are, are, are commented on at the end by saying that children raised by two biological parents in a stable marriage do better than other family forms. A direct positive association remains between child well-being and marriage. And uh, Harrison concludes by saying, There is little room in the sexual revolution for children, yet it's they who pay the biggest price of all for its future. Marriage is good for society. So that's the first reason for not switching off uh, this morning. But there's a second one, and an even better one than that. And that's, uh, I'm going to go outside of Peter for a minute and uh, go to Ephesians. Don't need to to turn to it, but... um, uh, Paul describes marriage as a profound mystery. Uh, those of us who've been married and are married for some time may still be thinking that. Uh, it is something that is a voyage of discovery every, every day. And it's wonderful and it's great. But Paul goes on to say, but I am talking about Christ and the church. That's a complicated little sentence if ever there was one. But um, Paul is basically saying that, that marriage is meant to mirror the gospel meant to mirror the, the good news about Jesus. You're meant to be able to look into marriage and see a picture of, of the gospel, of uh, two people loving one another and with Jesus at the centre. And be able to learn something about the gospel from that. If you're married, you are a visual picture of the gospel as you go around being married people. Martin Luther wrote of marriage. Human marriages are the one poor example of the one true marriage between Christ and his people, the true and greatest marriage. Human marriages are designed, in other words, to reflect Christ, to teach us 
about the most important relationship in life and eternity. I think some of you were at Molson at the time when Ed Shaw was our keynote speaker on a uh, a Lent course that we did about 18 months ago on uh, sex and relationships and, and marriage. And, and he had this wonderful uh, way of referring to marriage as a, a, a trailer for the much better marriage between Christ and the church. He was saying basically there's a, there's a big screen production movie coming in eternity that uh, Christ and his bride, the church, are going to be united. And that is coming in all its wonderful, glorious technicolour. But today... We can see a little glimpse of that, a trailer, the, the, the two or three minute clip uh, of the big movie that's coming, uh, and that is marriage. So friends, uh, listen in if you're married uh, today, because hopefully you'll not just learn something about uh, your marriages and how they can be good from the Bible, but hopefully you, you'll see you have an opportunity to teach uh, the gospel through the way that you conduct your, your marriages. And if you're you're single, uh, then hopefully you'll see that you can learn from looking in at, at marriages, looking in at the marriages within this, uh, this church uh, community, even though they're imperfect. The, the working out uh, in imperfect marriages is a sign of God working, and we can see uh, a picture of the gospel uh, through that. And hopefully that will help us to all be committed to this biblical institution of marriage. Uh, so what do we learn about marriage? Uh, if you look in at a Christian marriage, what should we see that teaches us about Jesus and the gospel? Uh, well, there's lots of things, aren't there, that we uh, should learn uh, about Jesus in Christian marriages. Things like faithfulness, uh, devotion, holiness. Uh, but here in this passage, Peter focuses in on two things. And the first of those is You'll find this uh, in your sheet. We'll have a look at that. The headings are there. Uh, the beauty of submission. The beauty of submission. Have a look down at verse 1 again. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Now, if there was ever an unpopular sentence in today's society, then surely... Uh, that's it, isn't it? Uh, in regard to swimming against the tide of the world, uh, the prevailing culture of our, our time, the world, its ideologies and philosophies, there can't be more, a more unpopular belief, can there, uh, to, to hold. The notion of submission to any authority, probably apart from the state and the rule of law, is almost completely anathema today. It's totally at variance with contemporary attitudes of permissiveness and freedom. Almost nothing is calculated to raise more angry protest today than talk of submission. Ours is an age of liberation, the world says, and anything that conflicts with that ideal is not just thought to be outdated, but actually morally wrong. Moreover, to our modern minds, the word submission suggests that the person receiving the submission is exercising power and dominion in an oppressive way. Uh, restricting the rights of the person who's submitting. Uh, we picture such an uh, authoritative husband as a domineering figure who makes all the decisions himself without reference to his wife, issues commands, uh, expects obedience, inhibits and suppresses his wife and so prevents her from uh, growing into a mature and fulfilled human being. 
and he's possibly abusive. So let's be clear, we need to be very clear at this point that such behaviour, as I've just described there, is not biblical and is completely and utterly wrong. Let's be completely clear about that at this stage. And if anybody here is uh, involved in that or practising that, then stop, please. Uh, And if you're on the receiving end of that, then uh, please do speak to somebody if you feel able to. And uh, speak to somebody in the leadership of the church here because... Uh, there are ways that, um, even if they can't help, that they can signpost you to, to help. What is also abhorrent and completely and utterly wrong is the usage of passages in the Bible like uh, this one to warrant such behaviour, which has been done uh, over many centuries of the church, sadly. The use of this passage in the Bible to warrant a husband using his wife As he pleases in the home or the bedroom must be condemned in the strictest of terms. There is no doubt about that. And such behaviour and the thinking behind it involves a a complete warping and twisting of Peter's words here and Paul when he talks in a, a similar manner in Ephesians. And I hope we'll come to see today that what's actually advocated here is something very, very different. And dare I say it, beautiful, that's why I put that heading uh, there and that needs some unpacking and understanding. So uh, let's uh, get down to uh, that. The first reason for that is because what is advocated here is something which follows the model of our glorious Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Delighted that uh, Johnny sort of uh, uh, started with these uh, verses at uh, the beginning. But perhaps I could get you just to look back, glance back at chapter 2. Um, verse 13 to start off with uh, chapter 2 verse 13 just click back to that Peter says there submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority I think you saw that a few weeks ago and then verse 18 put forward to verse 18 slaves in reverent fear of God submit yourselves to your masters and then verse 21 uh, to this uh, open brackets, submission, close brackets. Uh, to this submission you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that sh- you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Describe there, don't we actually have the most wonderful uh, picture of the most amazing submission ever? Uh, the submission of the Son of God to his Father for the sake of the salvation of the whole world. This is God the Son uh, submitting, submitting to the will of God that a substitute should take our place as the wrath of God was poured out from heaven for the pain that we should have taken and caused him because of our rejection of him. All that wrath was poured out 
on Jesus and not on, on us. He submitted to his Father's will to do that so that we might be saved. That's amazing, isn't it? That the Son of God, with all his privileges and glory, should do such a thing. Mind-blowing, isn't it? And it reminds us that the one who, who calls us to submit to him uh, and to one another here, uh, God, uh, isn't one who, who just likes controlling people, but saving people. That's his, that's his heart. He doesn't uh, ask us to do anything that he hasn't done before. Submission is something that is in the character of God himself. And therefore, it must be a beautiful uh, thing. And we shouldn't be afraid of it ourselves. And in fact, in many places of the Bible, all of us are called to submit to one another in various ways. You've seen a number of ways already in, in chapter 2 and then in, um, in Ephesians 5. Talk, uh, Paul talks about submitting to, 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 to one uh, another. And he provides here for us, doesn't he, a model which if we follow, uh, we've already thought, is a, uh, a way of helping people see the love of God. It's a trailer of God's uh, love. It's a trailer of the gospel through which people can look into and they too can be saved and experience the incredible love, mercy and forgiveness of God. And one particular way, if you look down at verse 1, uh, go forward to chapter 3 again, uh, is the winning over of the non-Christian husband. So verse 1, husbands do not, uh, who do not obey the word, as it's uh, better translated. So submission is a, is, a, is a big part of the gospel. It's a big part of, of God. It's a big part of marriage, the trailer. So what does it look like? Let's uh, uh, look down into the passage and see what Peter advocates here. So three things, uh, basically. Verse 2, first of all. Uh, verse 2, purity. Purity. Uh, in attempting to play uh, her part in this great trailer for the gospel, uh, wives are to obey the word of God, uh, to practice it, uh, especially in the arena of marriage and personal relationships, keeping them within proper boundaries. And then secondly, to, uh, verse 2, reverence. Uh, reverence here literally means fear, but not fear of your husband, but fear of God, a right revering and uh, awe at God, keeping a, a kingdom perspective on uh, circumstances and being motivated by that resurrection hope that Peter's talked about at uh, the beginning. That will obviously involve carving out time with God so that we know him well and understand how wonderful and awesome he is so that we can revere him, but also carving out that time, that special time where we can be reminded of of him in his his word and in in prayer uh, as well. Now you might say, where am I going to find the time uh, to do that in a busy modern world as a as a as a wife as a mother maybe with a a career as well. But maybe uh, verse three might help us with that. In verse three, Peter turns the focus to the wife's beauty. And now stick with me uh, with this, please. Um, this is to consist not in the external and visible things that perish, but in the invisible, unseen spiritual realities that are eternal. 
Adornment here refers to the focus of attention for one's attractiveness. The thing one uses to make oneself beautiful. And therefore it can't mean that women are banned uh, from going to the hairdresser or for wearing jewellery, because if that was so, by the same token, uh, the wearing of clothes, actually the, the original Greek doesn't include the word fine, uh, so the wearing of clothes will be banned, and that would be a little bit awkward, wouldn't it, for, for everybody. Now those things are still permitted, it's just that they shouldn't be the adorning. They should come from, those should come, the adorning should come rather from the wife's inward Nature, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now that might appear on the face of it to be something that's weak and, and, and feeble, but we've already seen, haven't we, in that wonderful picture of the model of Christ's submission to the Father, it's not a weak and feeble thing at all. Actually, it's a very strong and courageous uh, thing uh, to do. It's a major attribute of the Lord Jesus. And it's a quality that he longs to see in every disciple. Of his, it's a fruit of the spirit, isn't it? As well, the quiet spirit uh, indicates someone who is teachable, as opposed to having an argumentative nature. Something which we're all called to be as Christians. And at this point, I want to turn to talk to fellas, uh, husbands, uh, here, because you have an enormous part to play in this, which can make this command a lot easier to obey for our wives. And that is in answering the question, what do I value most? Do I value outward beauty, outward appearance, or inward beauty? And I know I'm particularly convicted by this. A lot of my life I've been focused on the the outward rather than the, the inward. I think these verses make it incumbent upon us. Fellas, if you're if you're married to to, to seek to value this inward beauty first and foremost and to be communicating that to our wives uh, to, be, to be making sure that they know that that's what we value first and foremost as I said it's not saying that we can't uh, uh, be beautiful on the outside but actually what we should be seeking is to value the inward uh, beauty of this uh, quiet spirit that uh, Peter talks about and then praising, praising our wives for that. And so I hope that means we can be clear on what submission isn't. It certainly doesn't mean that wives need to stop thinking. It doesn't mean that they need to um, uh, not try and influence uh, and guide their husbands. We have, you have a very important role uh, in, in that. It doesn't mean that a wife has to do everything that her husband tells her doesn't mean that she's any less gifted or intelligent. doesn't mean that she's of lower value or importance. And it certainly doesn't mean that she should blindly obey her husband. To submit in this biblical way advocated here, verse 4b, it says, is of great value to God. That's the incentive. This is something that God values enormously. It's how the holy women of the past used to make themselves beautiful. Verse 5 and verse 6, to follow this example will mean that you walk in the line of those inwardly beautiful women who walked so closely to God. So I've spent uh, a lot of time uh, focusing on the 
part that wives have to play. But uh, what does it say for men? Well, we've thought a little bit about that in terms of our attitude to beauty, but let's have a look at verse 7. And think about the beauty of consideration. The beauty of consideration. Verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you the precious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now the overriding concern here is that the Christian husband is to be considerate to his wife. Literally, that means to know how to live with her. And that would involve a recognition of both the physical and the spiritual we see here. Uh, The considerate husband will consider that his wife is physically different from him. Described here as the weaker partner. He must therefore not get his way through physical intimidation or violence, but is to be considerate and aware of her needs and feelings in order to, to love her and care for her. But he also consider the spiritual condition. I think this is so important, recognising that uh, with him, uh, Peter talks about her as being an heir of the gracious gift of life. Our wives share with us the glorious in Inheritance that waits, awaits every believer. And that means that she's just as important as we are in God's sight. And therefore, we should honour our wives as one who will receive the glorious things. Will receive glorious things from God's hands. There is absolute equality in, in value and dignity and worth. The Bible talks about that. God talks about absolute uh, equality in those things, but there are, as we're seeing here, a difference in our roles. But that's that's nothing different to God. God, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son. We've seen already, haven't we? How absolutely equal uh, in divinity, uh, in in godliness, all those godly characteristics, but different. The Father giving to the Son, and the Son submitting to to the Father. The implication of those uh, last words of that sentence. Uh, where it says, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. I think hammers home the gravity of what's being talked about here for us as husbands. To not obey these commands will hinder our prayers. Isn't that, when you think about it, isn't that an awful uh, thought, an awful uh, prospect? If husbands are not prepared to regard their wives in the correct way, then God will not listen to us. Our prayers, our prayer time will be worthless. In the next section... Peter will remind his readers that the Lord's ears are open to the righteous, but his face is against those who do evil, verse 12. Not to be considerate to your wife in the ways prescribed here is is evil. However, if we do act in a considerate way towards our wives, then the blessings are enormous, verse 12. God will hear our prayers and his eyes will be upon us. So the message from Peter for married women is submit, but for a married man is do not commit evil. Put the two together, and I hope you see when that acts together, and I have seen this and experienced this myself, it is actually a a beautiful thing, a beautiful recipe, and a wonderful trailer for the gospel. When we run our marriages this way, it will shock the world. The world will look in and think that we're crazy. But it will be beautiful and it will bring glory to God. 
Now I've got to close this section by saying this is surely going to be convicting for all of us at some level because we know that we have all failed in these areas, haven't we? And it could be particularly difficult for some maybe here who've experienced marriage breakup at some point in the past. But let's just remind ourselves, let's go back to to chapter 2 and remind ourselves that uh, these sins are uh, forgivable, that Jesus bore himself our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have all been healed. Where there is repentance, there is forgiveness. And there is a new day. Every day is a new day to live such good lives among the pagans. And it starts here, it starts today, doesn't it? Finally, I'm going to look very briefly at uh, the church. Uh, A quick look at Peter's advice for swimming against the tide and making a difference together, because it does link uh, very, very closely. Uh, Verse 8, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. The the key messages here are they restraint again from evil and turning from sin. Uh, Doing good and the active adoption of Christ-like qualities in our relationships. Ring some bells. Just what we've been hearing, isn't it, about uh, marriage. But I guess that's what we should expect, really, isn't it? If these qualities are necessary in marriages to act as a trailer for the gospel, then they'll also be required for us in our churches as well. Because we also are a trailer for the gospel as we go about living our lives together. And when we do, we'll not just bring glory to God, but there are incredible benefits here too, aren't they? When we, uh, uh, we do these things, verse 9, we will inherit a blessing. And verse 12, the eyes of the Lord will be upon us and when that happens we also receive the great blessing uh, number six of uh, God's keeping of his grace and his peace number six the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace swimming against the tide in these ways may seem especially difficult. We may feel crazy at times, but friends, the rewards are amazing, aren't they? That we would be numbered as the chosen, uh, with hope secured by the resurrection of a great life now with God, living with the help of his Holy Spirit and each other as a church together, with that great hope of being with God and experiencing that greatest marriage of all in heaven at the end of time. So shall we pray that uh, God would help us in all these difficult things that we've thought about this morning. Let's pray. Just a moment of quiet, just to uh, reflect on what we've, we've heard and how that, uh, that uh, relates to us. Uh, maybe to confess where we know we have fallen short of God's glory in these areas. But also to know the assurance that when we do that, that God will 
forgive us. He promises us his uh, renewed blessing as we do that. And to thank God for the fact that he's not asking us to do anything that he has not done before and how actually when we submit to God that we submit to his incredible, wonderful, beautiful power that we see and experience the most wonderful love and beauty for ourselves. Father, I pray for everybody gathered here that they would uh, understand and, and grow in this knowledge and also the love of God through these things. And may our marriages uh, be a trailer for that wonderful marriage in heaven. In Jesus' name, Amen.